Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Bulletin. I am your host, Stephen Lenahan, with my co-host. Hey, it's me, Mike Gormley. Also known as? Gomer. Gomer. Who's Gomer in, in, in the Bible? Isn't that uh, there's actually two Gomers in the Bible. Uh-huh. Prepare your heart. Gomer number one, Genesis 10, Table of Nations, modern day Turkey. It's a man's name. Okay. Uh, second reference, Hosea chapter one, verse three and following. She's the daughter. It's a woman. She's the daughter of a woman named Diblaim, and she is a cult prostitute of the Canaanites. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I'm nicknamed after the prostitute wife of the prophet Hosea. Why? Uh, it's a good question. It's a valid question, and I refuse to answer. Just kidding. No, uh, <laughs> when I was in high school, I started homeschooling in 10th grade, and all my friends still went to our Catholic high school. And they would call me during study hall, which was mandatory right before lunch. And I would just be waking up. And they were furious, and I was just waking up <laughs> halfway through their day That's of school. Awesome. And this one guy who always called me by my last name, what's up, Gormley? Josh Whitney, he called me Gomer. Shout out Josh, wherever you are now. Yeah, I haven't talked to him in 25 years. Uh, gosh, I'm so old. But he um, he uh, always called me Gormley, and he decided to call me Gomer because he had just walked out of Bible 1, Old Testament, and he had just heard about Gomer, and he thought it would be a funny nickname. So when I went to Franciscan, I just told everyone, hey, my name's Michael. There's a million Michaels. You can call me Gomer. And people didn't even know my real name was Michael. Yeah. I mean, I, sometimes I forget, and I, like, introduce you to parishioners or, like, I'll be like, oh, yeah, 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 Gomer. And they're like, who? Eh, sorry. At, at a prestigious fundraising event. Yeah, hey, right, Hey, this right. is Gomer. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of prestigious fundraising events around here. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Okay. All right. So that's not really why we're here today. We're going to have another. The more you know. The more you know. Yeah. We're going to have another Thomistic moment. Uh, we had uh, an earlier episode where we talked about angel and demonology and the St. Michael prayer, which was really um, so good, dense, but good, but good, but no. good. Yeah, it was kind of like I felt like it was like a cheesecake, right? Like cheesecake is delicious, but it's dense. Yeah, and if you get too much, you don't subscribe to the podcast. So we right. <laughs> I'm still fun. talking about cheesecake. No, it's our, intense. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> so we've invited our dense coworker back. <laughs> intense. Welcome back to the show, Brian. Thank you for having me. This is Brian Jones, our coordinator of liturgy here at the parish. And uh, he is a self-proclaimed Thomist. Mm-hmm. What is a Thomist? Yeah, explain that. It's the that odor that arises off of your toes. That is the worst thing. I thought you were going to give some absurd philosophical things because your eyes looked up to the heavens and your hands started like gesture, like, oh, yes. Yeah. And it's called deception. That's weird. It's called deception. All right. All right. Real explanation. What is a Thomist? Uh, a Thomist is someone who um, follows the philosophical, theological, spiritual insights of St. Thomas Aquinas and sort of follows in that tradition so if someone if you hear someone say you know i'm a thomist or that person is a thomist it means that they are relying upon predominantly though not only saint thomas aquinas as a kind of master okay so you and you're working on your phd right Mm -hmm. in philosophy yes so that's where like a lot of your study comes into play there is the philosophy of saint thomas yeah so there at people probably know this that are listening but at the university of saint thomas they have the center for houston's best kept secret the University of St. Thomas. <laughs> I thought he was going to say me. <laughs> no. no. Um, <laughs> um, that should be their slogan. Yeah. It was. It uh, was. It no, was. Yeah, yeah, it was. It oh, it was. Oh, okay. Houston's yeah. best kept secret. <laughs> um, 
Uh, the, so it's it's the philosophy department is the center for Thomistic studies. Very good. Yep. Very good. So. Awesome. All right. So let's dive into kind of the the topic of the day that we really wanted to get into, which is um, faith and reason. So mm-hmm. in Latin. Fides et ratio. Which, nailed it. I nailed you. it. Look at me. Uh, Latin 101. No, I do remember, though, like even in – I went to a Catholic high school and first day of like freshman religion, I remember um, our teacher – and then again, I feel like it happened in college with certain theology classes. The first thing that a theology teacher often writes on the board is fides et ratio, meaning mm-hmm. faith and reason. So why, why is that? Why is that such a foundation for theology? You want well, I will also – yeah, uh, I'll say that's also the foundation of RCIA. So when people want okay. to become Catholic, one of the things that we have mm-hmm. to do is make uh, a distinction and then reinforce it between faith and reason um, to, sh- to see where their proper spheres are, what, what they mean, and what we mean in the Catholic Church by faith. We don't believe in fideism, nor are we, do we believe in rationalism, but faith and reason. And so we unpack this stuff, but the big thing is to unpack it so that people can understand what revelation is and how we don't want you to check your brain at the door, but also to acknowledge what God reveals is much higher than what human knowledge can attain. So faith and reason, you got to have that grasp just beginning to study the Catholic faith if you want to become Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think probably just as a, as a baseline point, the... The distinction between faith and reason is if you see or understand faith as belief or or trust, right? That uh, Mike mentioned revelation. So, you know, the, the, the dogmas or doctrines of the faith that we believe are something that could only be believed because God revealed them to us. Um, and so, you know, it's, we, why do we believe something is, uh, that's been revealed is, or, or, you know, why do we believe X or Y is because God revealed it. Mm-hmm. And we wouldn't have been able to believe it without God doing so. So That's and, why it's faith and reason, <clears throat> not faith or reason. Yeah, right, right. So you're making a distinction, but it's also to hold them together. And then in terms of reason, you can think of, like, knowledge or... Um, you, you know, but I think, uh, if you, for, in terms of like faith and knowledge, w- the distinction there is to say that, um, or I'm, I'm sorry, the way you keep them together is that both faith and reason are ordered towards the truth. So we believe something because it's true. We claim that we know something because it's true. Yeah. One of the ways that I break this down for newbie Catholics or want to be Catholics is, Faith or belief is the avenue to truth that comes by hearing, and um, you would say reason is perceiving or seeing that truth for yourself. So, for instance, right, uh, I don't know anything about cars. I don't know how to fix them. I like them. I like them when they work. But one time I was driving my wife's minivan. It was shaking like crazy. So thank goodness. Not generally a good sign. No. Generally (laughs) speaking, not good. So I take, you know, where do you go? So I don't know any of the places around here. I don't have a relationship with any of the mechanics around here or the shops. So I go up to my Honda dealership. And wouldn't you know it, Charles, who works here, good old Charles, his son is a mechanic there. So I request his son to look at my car. Now, if I didn't know anyone and I didn't know this person was trustworthy, what we tend to do is how a guy comes back to us and says, oh, that'll be $2,000. You're like, well, how do I believe if this person's telling me the truth if I can't see it for myself? How can I trust what they're saying? Well, any rational person would devise 
a test. We do this in our court system. How do you believe an eyewitness? I, didn't, I can't see through their eyes, so I have to establish their credibility. So what do right. we do? We get a second opinion, right? You take the card somewhere else, they give the same diagnosis, same prices. You're like, okay, so both of them are believable because I devise a rational test, and that's what we call credibility, right? The, Your so, Honor, this goes to the credibility of the witness, and that just means the Latin word credibility means able to be believed. It's the same word where we get um, creed in the mass. So this is why, like, um, this is why the, the role um, – of devil's advocate comes into play when they open the cause for um, canonization for a saint, right? right yeah. So, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize this that the the term devil's advocate comes from an actual position in Rome that when they open the cause for uh, the canonization of a saint, the role of the devil's advocate is to try and disprove the miracles and the the life of fidelity and holiness around that person who um, is being, you know, potentially lifted up for sainthood. Am I right in that? Yeah. Well, ironically, the church plays a devil's advocate in that, in that case. Right. They, yeah, exactly. They, you have yep. to prove to the church that particularly with the miracles, you know, right. a scientist or a medical doctor, that there is no natural cause to explain how this person could have been healed from exactly. MS. Yep. You know, so, something like that. So, the, the yeah, you're right. And, and I think that the other thing, too, is that, you know, when we start getting into, like, faith and reason, a lot of times, particularly in the modern – or we, we use postmodern a lot on the show, I've noticed. Uh, <laughs> the postmodern world, everything is about science and, and proving things through science. But the scientific method – um, and the university system and all these things, they came through Catholic thought and Western yeah. culture. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, the idea that the church has to be separate from science is completely inaccurate. In fact, they complement each other beautifully. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, uh, even, even I think there's a, a, an attempt, uh, supposedly a healthy attempt to save religion and science by trying to a way to try to keep them together. You say, you know, religion is about ethics. And then science is about knowledge of reality. Mm-hmm. All right. So, and that, that sound, I, I would bet that many people would say upon hearing that, yeah, that, that sounds about right. Yeah. Religion's about how I live and how I treat yeah. other people. Whereas science is about, you know, facts about the world. It's about facts and laws and blah, blah, blah. Right. Right. And so religion under that sort of model is a way of living ethically with whatever science discovers about the real world. Um, and uh, there's many things to say in response to that, but I think a basic one would be to say that many of the teachings of the church are, have a, you know, are, are, are based in reality, right? So even God's existence, it's either true or it isn't right. Right. It's, um, uh, the tr- you know, Jesus Christ being a real actual historical person, mm-hmm. um, that, that's not simply th- those dogmas aren't simply about ethics, right? right? They have a relationship to philosophy and history and science and disciplines outside of you know theology itself. So, it, it's, so either either Jesus, uh, the historical person of Jesus, was either telling the truth mm-hmm. or he was lying, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the that's kind of the question that we have to pose to ourselves as Christians when we look at and, and Catholics as we look at scripture and at church teaching and all that, if it's truly based in the teachings of Christ, mm-hmm. we have to first and foremost believe that what Jesus said was absolutely true. Um, even going down to, you know, the resurrection, which is probably one of the right. the hardest um, teachings or, you know, things to grasp in the gospels. How did Jesus like yeah. 
die and, and, and then rise from the dead. Like that's just such a crazy yeah. concept. And yet it's obviously that important because it's our most important feast that we celebrate in the liturgical calendar is Easter. Yeah. And so for our RCIA candidates, I ended up creating an entire class breaking out. It used to be on Jesus, the Paschal mystery, the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. I broke the whole resurrection part out into a standalone class. Uh, Deacon Tom Vicknair teaches that for us, and it's based off of the catechism. If you go and look at the catechism, it's, when it talks about the resurrection, it says, an historic and transcendent event. And it's so important to hold those two together because this is the whole deal with faith and reason. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if, Jesus, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Then you and I are still in our sins because that means that Jesus isn't God. He didn't reconcile us to the Father. You and I are still in our sins. And then he says this line, and of all men on the earth, we are the most to be pitied. So he's saying, listen, if this historical fact yeah, that's, didn't. That's bleak. Yeah. That's bleak. If this thing didn't happen, this whole thing that we're doing called Christianity is a joke. All the times I've been beaten and scourged and stoned with rocks and all this stuff yeah. is all a lie. And we are the most pathetic. And then he says, listen, go and talk to Cephas, which means Peter. Go and talk to any of the apostles. He said, at one point, Jesus appeared to over 500 uh, people at once, some of whom are still alive, though some have, or most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. He's essentially saying, go and test the eyewitnesses, right? They are the ones who saw. We, you are the ones who heard. And then he says at the end, and I, like one born untimely. St. Paul is also, we forget this, he also saw the risen Lord on the road to Damascus. Right. He had multiple revelations of the resurrected Jesus throughout his life that gave him, that's how he learned the gospel. He didn't learn it from going to Peter, mm -hmm. right? People forget this, that St. Paul, after his road to Damascus, he then went to uh, Arabia. He went, went all over this place. And it was years before he ever saw the, uh, the other apostles. He received the resurrected Lord taught him the gospel. And that's powerful because we are not seers. We are hearers. So how can we trust what I don't we've know. heard? I made toast this morning and i'm pretty sure i saw jesus in my toast <laughs> listen man there is this is the one thing i do want to say about faith and reason right and, and i think we could talk about this sometimes you meet people who are so eager to believe that their faith becomes superstitious right mm -hmm. we talked about this on an earlier episode when we were well, the last Thomistic moment when i said you know, yeah. that angel angels are not like pokemon go it's not like <laughs> you can just see them magically on your phone brian yeah. is still wondering what pokemon go is i'm I so I'm going to Google it. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad you <laughs> but, know how to use or Google. a demon around every corner. Oh, that was the devil. People speak with such a surety, you know, about yeah, that stuff. Yeah. But it really is true that we have to be careful when we talk about this because when we are proposing the faith to people who aren't sure what they believe, and we wait, come wait, wait, across, hold on, back up. Yeah. you're saying we propose the faith to people. We don't. Impose. impose the faith nailed it oh, that's right what a concept all but, right but sometimes it's very because it's something so sacred and so dear to us right and that when we've walked that path it's very easy for us to make assumptions and presume things and, and push that onto people but when we come across as being anti-rational right that turns off an unbelieving and skeptical generation right okay so that's you, you bring up a really great point though because a You're lot welcome. of what happens now, particularly when you start to get into like moral issues that are related to the sciences, um, you know, let's go to the hottest topic, right. Of like, uh, Oh man, do we want to go? We're going to go here. Like birth control, right. Um, the modern man or the modern woman would look at the church's teaching on that and saying, we're being irrational. And you would say a uh, quick interjection. There's a supposedly a, a tradition that St. Paul was actually taught by Scott Hahn. 
Um, but anyway, um, <laughs> I've been waiting to say that the whole time. Wow, you're talking about, you just that's totally why it's called the St. Paul right. the question. Go well, on. yeah. Well, the irony that that Dr. Han is um, so good in Pauline theology, is, and and he taught St. Paul, yeah. right? Um, God's outside of time. Right. <laughs> so irrational. Um, <laughs> right. So the, uh, I mean, I th- I think you're point is that I, oftentimes the whether it's birth control or abortion or any yeah. major issue that is um you know frequently a hot topic or debated mm-hmm. so now, and really a social <laughs> issue right um it it's sort of used as a uh, a way to sort of shoot down the other side is to say well uh, you know that that's a religious issue Abortion is a religious issue. You won't, you're only saying that because you're a Catholic or you're a Christian, or you're only against contraception because you're a Catholic. Your, your Pope told you, so. right? Yeah. Right. And and um, so again, it, it's a way of shutting down an actual conversation and dialogue. But I mean, the very basic point would be to say, well, no, that you you could be an atheist, right? Uh, uh, an agnostic, you could be skeptical about whether or not God exists, mm-hmm. but you could see the evidence and the reasons, the arguments for why you know birth control is disordered or why abortion is morally wrong. Right? right. You, you don't have to be yeah. religious. It just it 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 again. I think actually supports the faith and reason yeah. intertwining. Is that faith also supports what? human intelligence can conclude sort of on and, its own. And that's where faith and reason overlap. Right. So especially in the area of morality, right, is <clears throat> it is difficult to know what we ought to do all the time. Right. It really is to try to figure out from some sort of natural law or, you know, what, whatever background you're coming from, to always know the, the, the way to apply a, an abstract principle in a concrete situation. Right, and that is why even when God reveals, you know, new stuff to us, oftentimes He also reveals to us things that we should know. Right, like the Ten Commandments say, "Thou shalt not kill." Right, it's right. not like anyone's walking around being like, "Should I murder that guy?" But then the difficulty—I <laughs> don't know. There's been some days. No, yeah, no. Kidding. It's called Mondays. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> so like someone's gonna kiss on Mondays. <laughs> so one of the things with that is. Having God's law being revealed, even on top of the things that human beings can can know without mm-hmm. reason, uh, by reason alone, it still reinforces. Because let's be honest, every culture, every person, because of our sinfulness, we look for ways around morality and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so faith and reason overlap in a lot of places. So that's why, for instance, uh, let's talk about another hot topic, um, uh, gay marriage, right? So I was talking with a... Post-evangelical, yeah, I hate all these terms, right? Post, everything. everything's post. I know because yeah. it means like got some remnants. It but means also... we're so far from God. <laughs> That's how far I've come from in every aspect of society. That's yeah. not what it means for the post office, but continue. <laughs> it's That's the after one we want. the office. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, no, I was talking with this post-evangelical pastor. So he's still a pastor, but he doesn't know if he believes in any of the stuff that he was brought up Bible Belt kind of stuff believing. And one of the th- issues was he changed his mind on gay marriage and the moral licitness of homosexual actions. And so he said, yeah, you know, it's only mentioned seven times in the Bible. Anything even remotely touching on homosexuality is only mentioned seven times in the Bible. And you can explain 
through biblical scholarship and human reason, you could explain all those away as not condemning homosexual acts or even gay marriage, you know, blah, blah, blah. So he goes and he says this. And he says, so I'm curious as to why you Catholics, because it was on my other podcast that shall remain nameless. Yes. Uh, <laughs> catching foxes. But the uh, – You're fired. I was going to so say rhymes with. Right. So he, <laughs> says, he said that. And he says, so why, why wouldn't you accept it if I could show you these arguments? I said, well, number one, I don't find – those arguments necessarily convincing. I said, but number two, we rely on reason and, and, and from reason, natural law and all this other stuff to understand this. And I said, so you can understand the nature of the sexual act and the nature of marriage and reason on your own as to whether or not, you know, homosexual, homogenital intercourse or gay marriage or any in-between kind of thing would correspond to reality as what's good for us, right? Mm-hmm. But on top of that, you have revelation, you have church teaching, you have a whole body. And he, he was quiet, and he was like, wow, that's, I never thought of that. And I said, yeah, so if you have sola scriptura and then your scriptural arguments are overturned, what resources do you pull from to understand? And he's like, I can tell you, I can't. There's, if once you overturn it, in my mind, biblically, then it's overturned. And he's like, so I see why you Catholics have a lot more. Well, you know? and even just the idea of the four senses of how we read Scripture yeah. is completely mm-hmm. different. We have the, you know, the historical, the anagogical, the allegorical, and the moral, moral, moral sense. So, thank you. Uh, but, <laughs> I just but, love the fact that you knew anagogical. I know, but I couldn't remember moral. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, anagogical uh, pertaining to the a, that final could be a thing. Bad sign. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, that's what I love about the way we we read Scripture, and we we don't just um, we don't just kind of pick our one-liners from it and then say, well, this yeah. is what it is because of this line. We actually have to understand the context from which it was written, mm-hmm. right? And that's kind of – that's applying reason to Scripture, to to that faith part, right. which is really important. Um, it's really important that we do that with Scripture so that we're not just kind of blindly, you know, spitting things out on the street corner. Well, and that – I mean, just that's the meaning of theology is that human intelligence with the aid of grace can – reflect upon the content of what's been revealed right you know that it's a recognition that we have a mind capable of not fully or comprehending uh the fullness of the mysteries that god has revealed but that in some real way we do have access to coming to a deeper understanding um yeah and i want i want to point out cardinal ratzinger pope emeritus benedict had this great distinction of phrase that i'm pretty sure you're familiar with um, cause you just hinted at it, comprehension versus apprehension. And he talks about the level of our knowledge. We cannot comprehend God. Okay. Our unaided human reason is limited. It can only go so far. It's amazing at what it can accomplish. Science, physics, all this stuff. It's amazing at what it can accomplish, but it doesn't mean that it can know perfectly or comprehend the infinite God as if we can wrap our arms around God, right. And get it mentally and get it a full picture of God in yeah. our own finite minds. But he says, but we can apprehend, we can grab hold of, we might not be able to wrap our arms around it, you know, completely, but we can still grab hold of real truths about God. One, that our reason can point to, and two, that God reveals himself about himself. And so we would say a mystery in the Catholic Church are those truths about God, which unaided human reason can't get at on its own, but God himself needs to reveal. So our intellect might know that, A, there is a God, and B, that he's distinct from the universe, right? That he's not a part of creation, right? We're not pantheists. 
But we could never reason to the inner life of God that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. God had to reveal that to us, right? So there are aspects of our faith that are above human reason and aspects of our faith that are graspable by human reason. Yeah. So I think we're like faith and reason kind of get uh, a bad rap in today's world. Um, yeah, well, belief means opinion. Right. Right. But, but not only that, but the idea that uh, – I think we need to talk about like revelation versus private revelation, right? So, you know, we have every, God revealed to us, um, everything we need to know in, in the scripture, right. And through tradition and through the church, we've, we've got everything, we've got all the tools there, but then you have private revelation enter my toast from this morning, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, or, or, you know, you burn feel... them all, Stephen, burn them all. Like you burned me today. <laughs> yes, Lord. This is getting weird. Um, it usually but, does. But yeah. But like you, you know, there's all these different kind of private revelation experiences, or yep. I had a prayer experience mm-hmm. and I, I felt God speak something to my heart. Now, sometimes I've heard people say, well, I heard God speak this in my heart and I'm sitting there thinking in my head, no, he didn't. You're just nuts. <laughs> you crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't say that. I smile because I'm a charitable person. I say, absolutely. Wow. Sounds great. Unless wow. it's heresy. Great. Unless wow. it's a heresy. Yeah. <laughs> then I come down on them like a hammer. Because St. Anthony. Anthony of Padua was the hammer of the heretics. Fun fact. Um, but <laughs> The hammer of heretics and the finder of lost keys. <laughs> it's a great title in the church. I feel like <laughs> everyone's going to love you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So what, can, let's talk a little bit about that. What is the difference between revelation and private revelation? And, and I really think that private revelation, this is kind of where we get off track sometimes in the modern world, especially in, the, in an evangelistic way. Like, cause I, you know, this is my frustration. Sometimes I say this all the time, like stop being weird as a Christian. And what I'm really saying is like, evaluate your private revelations before you speak about them publicly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the distinction between public and private revelation is at the death of the last apostle, all public revelation ceased. What does that mean? That means there is no new New Testament. There's not another testament hidden under my mattress that I'm going to pull out. This is what God's word is. Sorry, Latter-day Saints. Go on. Exactly. So let's bring up the Mormons, right? Ouch. The Mormons don't just have the Book of Mormon. They also have the Pearl of Great Price and another book I can't remember. But the, the idea that there is a new revelation is the reason why the cathedral in Salt Lake City, which is across the street from the Mormon temple, has a verse from Galatians chapter 1, which says, even if I, if we, or even if an angel should reveal to you another gospel than the one which I have proclaimed, let him be accursed, right? <laughs> so it's pretty heavy-duty language Ouch. that the church has written over its main doors. That's what the Catholic church has written? Mm-hmm. That is pointing towards the... It's behind the, the altar Dang. on the left. Oh, is it? Okay. I and then I'm... on the right is the promise to St. Peter for the uh, regarding the keys of the kingdom. So, Ouch. yeah, that's pretty that's severe. That's bold. Get after it, Saint, uh, <laughs> Salt Lake City Catholics. That's, <laughs> yep. that's fun. So the distinction is private revelation... <laughs> can be any form of prophecy. Today we talk about apparitions, appearances of Mary, the saints, Jesus, whatever, um, or locutions, which is audible noises, uh, audible words of God or the saints or something to people. Joan of Arc very famously had locutions of St. Michael, the archangel, the blessed mother, other saints, and, and the blessed virgin uh, and Jesus. Um, St. Faustina. Yeah, she experienced the, the great diaries of the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Right. The Divine Mercy Chaplet is a wonderful and edifying Christian book. It is, or the Divine Mercy Diary. It is not public revelation. The Divine Mercy Diary is nowhere 
It's not inspired. It's not infallible. It's not inerrant. It's private revelation built, uh, given over, taken up by the church. There's a feast day for it. It's, right. it's been examined. And a lot of people it, struggle through it yeah. because of that, yeah. you know, because it's, it's intense. It is intense, and, but it, it does not compare to sacred scripture. Okay, mm-hmm. And the big thing in a lot of Protestant circles right now, they're struggling with this because you have the Hillsong United Bethel group come in, very charismatic, Pentecostal-ish. And they're like, well, God told me, blah, blah, blah. And there's this whole movement uh, called the Latter Rain Movement where it's like, I'm receiving revelations right now, and this is for the whole church. Public revelation alone has you know what we call sacred scripture and tradition, but public revelation alone belongs to the universal church. I am free to never wear a miraculous medal. I am free to never pray the Divine Mercy Chapel, even though the church is elevated to a feast day, and that's a, even the rosary. Yeah, yes, right. and, and so the notion of private revelation it needs to it needs to be respected as prophecy. Right. If it's real, which is why the church tests the heck out of this stuff. But the, then, the rosary and the divine mercy chaplet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then it needs to be placed in its proper place, which is underneath the sacred scripture and tradition. And pointing back to Christ. Yeah. Right? If you want to hear God talk to you, I think I do. I yeah, think I, I, do. I do. That's yeah. nice. Yes, it would be great. Right. Open your Bible. Right. Now, we don't want to do that because that's not right. sensational. Yeah, and I think... Uh, I'm so angry. No. <laughs> Mike, shave your beard. No, I, I think it's important. You know, I remember I remember in uh, college, Brian, uh, Brian, I think you went on the same trip as me to Medjugorje, or did you go somewhere else that uh, weekend? I did not. I Sinner. was in... <laughs> really? I was in Paris. Yeah, right, center. So I, <laughs> oh, darn it. Yeah, no, uh, no. But I, I remember going to Medjugorje and uh, and and other Marian sites um, throughout Europe and different places. Uh, been to Our Lady of Aparecida in Brazil, which mm-hmm. is the largest Marian shrine. And the one thing that I've always been told that's so important when you go to these Marian shrines and it's a litmus test for the church is: Are these private revelations <laughs> pointing back to? Jesus Christ yeah, right. and his and his salvation. And that's ultimately the thing. So like the deal in Medjugorje, I don't know if they've, have they made a concrete decision as church on that? The first bishop said it's real. The second bishop says it's not real. The third bishop said, I agree with my predecessors. They're still investigating. They're right. Still so investigating. there you go. Because the revelations are ongoing. That's so right. So, when, so the interesting thing in Medjugorje was that when we were there, we met, uh, we stayed with um, this uh, couple um, who I will not mention my name, but they appeared to have their own private revelations in Medjugorje. And it was weird. It was very, very off-putting. It, to, to a point where I was in college, I might have been a little bit uncharitable, uncharitable and mocked them. But what I did like... Maybe. That's maybe, so that might have happened. I don't know. I've been in confession. Jesus doesn't remember. Why should you? So uh, <laughs> in Medjugorje, though, the one thing that I did like when I was there and that I could actually match up with other Marian sites was that majority of the, the sane people that were there um, were saying, like, Everything should be about going to confession and mass and getting back into that relationship with Jesus Christ. And so my whole thing was whether I was in Medjugorje and saw the Blessed Mother on a hill didn't really matter. And I don't think that the Blessed Mother cares about that as much either because what I got when I was there was going to confession and going to mass, which is the most important thing. And that should be all of private revelation. Right, right, right. Yeah, Yeah. it should all be pointing back to Jesus Christ. Well, and it goes back to what Mike said um, when uh, the, one of the other podcasts we did, it might have been when we were doing the St. Michael one, when you talked about your friend in Pittsburgh that works in exorcisms and yeah. said, you know, the, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that the ordinary, was it like the ordinary way of evangelizing? No, the uh, ordinary, or, so yes, the yeah. ordinary way to oppose the devil is right. evangelization. Right. Right. That's, yeah. it's not exorcism, <clears throat> right? That's an extraordinary, extremely rare thing. The ordinary way is evangelization and the ordinary way that the devil attacks us is temptation. 
and the exorcism is to open them yeah. to be able to hear the gospel. The gospel, and yeah. I think part of, and, and Mike mentioned it too. Part of the the temptation with anything good is the sensational, particularly kind of apocalyptic, yeah. eschatological sort of bent or orientation with people that you know start to get very focused on private revelation is and yeah it's it's coming yeah, right and, and, and it's certain israel and, yeah. and russia and, yeah. and china and even now and with down, the Mike, scandal, too excited <laughs> even now with what's going on in the church you're, yeah. there there are certainly to say here it is you know we're we're, we're in the end times but yeah. that's that is already yeah. i mean th- that is a fact we are always yeah, the, I mean, every every breath you take, exactly. <laughs> you're, you're closer to the end times. You're <laughs> right. in the end times. Exactly. Well, and, and biblically, <clears throat> biblically, we are in the time of the Lord, right? This is the age of the Messiah where the, the day of the Lord is at hand all the time because right. this there is he has already accomplished what we will end up receiving. And right. so um, I do want to wrap this up by tying it back to faith, reason, and science. The church is not opposed to science. Any opposition that the Roman Catholic Church offers to science is, number one, a reminder to stay in their spheres, right? So just because a man is an accomplished natural scientist in terms of biology or in terms of chemistry or physics doesn't mean they're an expert in everything. We do this to rich people a lot, people yeah. who are successful in business. We ask them about, like, how are you a parent and how are you – and we, we, we tend to give people oh, yeah. success I mean, in yeah. one field. Yeah, if you've been to a business conference, like, people, like, worship some of these people. You're yeah. so successful at everything in life. And yeah. Warren Buffett, tell me everything about politics. Warren Buffett, tell me about, you know, what lotto numbers I should choose. You yeah. shouldn't choose any lotto numbers. Buy Gillette. How much you deadlift? Oh, <laughs> how much doesn't. you deadlift, Warren Buffett? He doesn't. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> but we do this we do this with science, right? We ask yeah. Neil deGrasse Tyson like answer all the questions that I have about the universe, right? And he does his best to do that. Um but the problem is, right? We the church needs to remind these people what their spheres are. So Richard Dawkins might be an accomplished evolutionary biologist, but he is notoriously an awful philosopher. And atheist philosophers do not tell people read the God Delusion. That is a terrible book to read philosophically um, for the theist atheist debate. The other thing that the church does is it needs to lay out moral guidelines. Yeah. Um, about the sciences, especially when it touches on to life sciences, right? The idea that the, the great Jeff Goldblum Jurassic Park quote, scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they never stopped to ask if they should. And now they're selling it. They're selling it. Uh, no. Uh, Hey, wow. Hey, Cold hey, stairs. Hey. Yeah, no, my no I'm, I'm with you. I, right. I got that picture. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum with the projectors. Yeah. Just remember that when we talk about genetics, when we're talking about gene splicing and editing, when we're talking about mixing in animal DNA into human cells and creating human clones so that we can use their organs for ourselves. Like all of this stuff is relevant to us. This is why the Nazis were so swiftly condemned uh, by the Catholic Church for their pseudoscience. They yeah, were, they did some weird stuff. They did some weird stuff, but... They, that was, everyone was doing eugenics right. and all of this stuff. And it was so – And still are. Yeah. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. so damaging. I mean Planned Parenthood came from the eugenics movement. We got to abort or prevent these unworthies from being born. And Margaret Sanger wanted uh, you know, blacks and Hispanics and Slavic and uh, Europeans. And, yeah, they, they, she classified them as less than human, literally dirt races and mud races. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, but right now there's a movement, I think, in the African-American community to get her removed from um, from the museum, what it was, one of the museums in D.C. Uh, I mean, Do, no, because no, this is all coming out. Like, yeah, sure. Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, niece 
uh, is she has a whole movement called Black Genocide, right. where she's addressing why was abortion directly pitched to black people. And it was by Margaret. I mean, we have her documents. She wrote approvingly to Hitler. Now, why are we saying all There's this? There's even up? voice recording of her you can find on the Internet. It's still crazy. Talking about it, it. My, my, I had a buddy who was a pro-life dude. And we got to wrap this up. But a buddy who was a pro-life dude who would just read her quotes in, in the middle of inner city Philadelphia. Read her quotes over a megaphone out loud, and they're the most racist things on the face of the earth. And people would come up to him, African Americans would be like, What are you saying? Get in his face. And he, could, he would just hold out the document and give it to him and say, That's what the founder of that company over there, that's what they believe. Yeah. Very controversial. But this is, this is the role of the church. But what ends up happening is the church intervenes in like a Catholic university overstepping its bounds. And then all of a sudden you hear the media, well, Oh, they're violating academic freedom and all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. Human beings should not have free reign over, especially things like chemical weapons, biological weapons, right? Uh, all robotics and all this uh, artificial intelligence. There needs to be someone saying you have crossed the line. Yeah. Right. And it's not just those scientists. Cause everyone knows <laughs> according to the scandal of church today, right. When gov- when organizations govern themselves, right. They don't govern themselves. Right. And so that's, that's one of the roles that the church can use with science or, you know, mm-hmm. in their relationship. Yeah. All right. So, Man, Final. that's a lot. We that, did a lot. We, we covered, 40 minutes. That's a long podcast. That's a long podcast. So We're final thoughts, because we have a lot of people that work in the medical and scientific community in our parish. It's the reason why it's Research Road right down the middle of... Uh, yeah, yeah Research Forest Road is yeah, Research Forest. Yeah, it's a block over from us. So final thoughts on how those people can, those parishioners can... Um, you know, truly live out their faith in a deeper way while still maintaining their scientific base and their, their research and all that sort of stuff. Ooh, uh, very short. I mean, I think they, they need to, um, just be able to, I, I think, be encouraged to do their own study, to do their own research. I mean, um, medical cases are extremely complex. I mean, there's not a, right. hey, uh, you know, come take a class with Mike Gormley on medical ethics and then just easily apply what Mike teaches you to your, you know, to your actual cases and your actual practices. There's a lot of nuance and um sets of principles that have to be established before you can figure out what needs to be done. So we use, so as, as our, our parishioners are into the scientific fields um, and medical fields, as they are you know, studying the sciences, applying the sciences, the idea is that they use their faith as the framework. Yeah. You allow the, I mean, and the, and one thing we very quickly didn't talk about was the way in which the grace of faith helps and aids you to think better, to, um, you know, be able to do your particular work or the, you know, profession to, to do it well. Yeah. Right. So it, it's, um, it's not just necessarily this added on thing, but it's infused within what you're already doing. Very quick example. You think about math, you know, you're, why do you have answers in the back of a math book? It's so that if you struggle with the problem, you look at the answer, you go back and look at the original problem with a new lens. I mean, you can cheat and be like, oh, yeah, I got the right answer. I was right going to say, I might have had a different schooling what? experience. It's like, wait a minute, that's not true. Yeah, but it, you go to the, you know, and it's 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 not that now you have the answers and yeah. it's like, oh, yeah. cool, I got it all figured out. It's You're trying to figure now, out how to get from point A to point B. Right, now you see things in a much clearer way, and that, that's kind of what faith, that's it's one of its effects upon human intelligence or human activity is to... Yeah, that great line from lens. C.S. Lewis, right? The... Faith is not an object that I see. It's more like the sun, right. which allows me to see all objects, right? right. Or by which I see everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been 
enlightening. You look tired. I need a I need a siesta after this one. <laughs> My mind is blown. And well, been, it is Friday, gentlemen. <laughs> Woo! Uh, Let's yeah. go venerate the True Cross tonight at seven, but it won't be heard until after. <laughs> this is a podcast. Correct. Podcast. We'll explain <clears throat> what that is to you later. <laughs> I've heard about. I've read about these yes, things. Yes, I know. <laughs> we'll also get into uh, texting and other things, Brian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I first met Brian, he had a flip phone, and I said, "Look at this app I have on my iPhone. If you scan the barcode of the book." It automatically <laughs> produces bibliographies <laughs> and how you cite them in multiple Chicago, MLA, all that stuff. And he goes, um, Michelle will like that. Uh, she's been trying to convince me to get an iPhone for years. <laughs> Brian, Look what it does to books. Bri- Brian, you do know that uh, <laughs> technology is a science. So hmm. let's apply your reason to consuming more electronics. Thank you all for listening. It's I'm, been a pleasure. I'm Gomer. <laughs> that's Steven. And over there is Brian. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>